Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. So, I think it's fair to say that right now the MCU is pretty hot. I mean, we have a couple of shows on the Disney Channel. We have movies. Black Widow will be coming out soon. We have, uh, I believe it's The Eternals coming later this year. And, you know, it's just the MCU and comic book movies and, and media in general it's just really for the past, you know, 10 plus years has really been in the mainstream and everything. And it's kind of interesting to think that, you know, in my opinion, I think the movie that really kind of helped spur this movement was indeed a comic book movie that a lot of people probably didn't even realize at the time was a comic book movie. Of course, I'm talking about 1998's Blade. So when this movie came out, I think most people didn't even realize that Blade was a comic book property, let alone, you know, a property of Marvel Comics. I mean, not for nothing, Blade appeared in, I believe it was a comic called The Tomb of Dracula, I think it was called, in the 70s. And he wasn't even really the main character in it. Uh, I believe that, you know, it was a Dracula comic, uh, a vampire comic, and there were a lot of vampire hunters in there. And Blade was one of them. And he was nothing like what we saw on the screen. If anything, they kind of modeled Blade after like the black exploitation heroes of the 70s. So he's kind of got a, I don't want to say, he's, he's got a funky costume. It's like a green jacket, blue pants, like yellow shades. Uh, he's kind of like this, you know, vampire hunting, jive talking guy. Um, he's not a hybrid. He's not, uh, what they would call a damn fear, which is a human with vampire abilities. He's just a regular guy. I mean, I think he did actually, I don't know if it was an ability. I think he, he was immune to the vampire curse. So if he was bitten, he was not going to turn into a vampire. I think though he, he could have been, he could have been drained. He could have been killed, but he could resist the vampire curse. And like I said, he wasn't even really like the main feature, you know, in in that particular comic. He was just kind of like thrown in there as sort of like, well, let's give something for black fans to kind of appreciate a bit, kind of sort of. So it's pretty interesting that this was the character that they decided to use to build a film around. Now, here's the thing. I mean, you know, for me, especially, you know, growing up in the 80s and everything, you know, we had the Chris Reeve Superman movies. We had the Tim Burton Batman movies, which unfortunately then morphed into the Joel Schumacher films, which killed off that franchise. After that, or, you know, also around that time as well, I mean, we had such great hits from Marvel Entertainment as Howard the Duck, a direct-to-video Punisher film starring Dolph Armgren, which... Actually, is not bad. The, the The big problem with it is, is it's very barely based on Frank Castle at all. If anything, it's Dolph Lundgren in an action film and they made him dye his hair black. And, you know, it's I mean, it, it's not a bad action movie, but it's definitely a terrible, terrible Punisher movie because it's just the guy's name is Frank Castle. He doesn't even wear the signature skull. I mean, if anything, you know, the skull appears on a dagger that he carries that they kind of show in the last 20 minutes of the film. 
I mean, so yeah, it definitely wasn't good. There's also a very, very bad 1990 direct-to-video Captain America movie, which just, if if you haven't, you know, just look for it and just cringe. It is a total, total cringe fest. Um, New Line Cinemas, you know, I mean, well, before we get to New Line Cinemas, so around this time, Marvel Comics was in a lot of trouble. Their titles, their titles weren't selling. Uh, they lost a majority of their artists to Image Comics. And uh, I did a episode on Image Comics with my good friends, uh, Alan and John from Nerd and Me Podcast. Check that one out. It's really a good listen. But they had lost a lot of their big artists and their, their titles weren't selling. They did the Heroes Reborn thing. Uh, which did not go over very, very well, and they really, really didn't know what to do. Uh, they, I believe, they filed. I believe they filed for Chapter Eleven, but they kind of, sort of repackaged themselves, rebranded themselves. They had a new CEO. I don't know his name, but I do know that he was kind of associated, I believe, with Toy Biz or figures and things like that. And that's what he was all about. Was like this. This is how we got to market it. You know, we gotta. We got to give the people something that's going to get them to buy action figures. And that, of course, is movies. You know, if you have a hit movie, you can sell action figures based on it. I mean, look at Star Wars. I mean, that's a perfect example of it. Uh, Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. And also around this time, the comics kind of had an Marvel Comics had like an offshoot called Marvel Knights where they kind of took some forgotten characters like the Punisher and a few others, and they kind of made a more edgier, darker, you know, comics based around these heroes or these characters, and they did start to sell really, really well. Because of this, New Line Cinema was like, hey, you know, we've been kicking around this idea of doing a Blade movie. Let's do it. We really think the time is right. And I think they were absolutely right. 1998, the time was right for Blade, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, I mean, I don't know if I need to say it, but spoiler alert, I guess, from a film from 1998. So, like I said, you know, when Blade came out, people barely knew that it was a comic book film. I mean, in the credits, it does say that both Blade and Deacon Frost, who is the main villain in the film, are based on characters um, by Marv Wolfman, famed comic writer Marv Wolfman. I believe Stan Lee was an executive producer. Stan Lee was actually supposed to have a cameo in this, you know, the famous Stan Lee cameos. He was supposed to have a cameo in it. I, I don't know if they just cut it or if he asked to be removed. Um, you know, I forget which one it was, but, uh, you know, that was cut from the film. Um, the interesting thing is, is kind of around this time, Wesley Snipes, who, of course, plays Blade in the movies, was actually trying to get a Black Panther film made. Now, Think about that. Wesley Snipes at the at, at this time, you know, the mid to late 90s, I mean, he was a hot commodity. I mean, he was an action star. He was a, a movie star. You know, he he actually was a really good person to play a Black Panther or a Blade because, you know, he had the build for it. He actually trained in martial arts, um, you know, and he's a good actor. So, you know, it was it was it was that perfect kind of combination. And it's kind of what we see nowadays, you know, in the MCU where we don't really have action stars. I mean, I don't consider Paul Rudd an action star. Um, And the upcoming movie, The Eternals, one of The Eternals is played by comedian Kumail Nanjiani, who, you know, famously or infamously, depending on how you look at it, 
got totally, totally ripped to play, you know, one of the Eternals. Um, Wesley Snipes was kind of like, I mean, he 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 was in action movies, but I don't know if we could really call him an action star. I guess we could have. He kind of like towed that line of like action star, movie star kind of a thing, which, like I said, is what we see now in the MCU and other comic book films. But like I said, he actually wanted to do a Black Panther film, which I think he would have been great in the role. New Line Cinemas actually wanted to do Blade, and believe it or not, their original choice to play Blade, and I kind of see where they were going with it, was going to be LL Cool J. I mean, in a way, it kind of makes sense. I mean, LL Cool J is a very big, muscular man. He's athletic, and he's kind of funny. Now, the thing is, is you know, of course, if you saw the movie Blade, you're like, well, Blade's not a funny guy. Well, New Line Simmons originally wanted to almost kind of make it like a spoof film or a very, very sort of campy film. Thankfully, they did not do that. So, you know, the writer on this film was a man by the name of David S. Goyer. The director was Stephen Norrington. And their vision for Blade was not a funny movie, a campy movie. They kind of saw what Marvel was doing with their Marvel Knights titles, which were taking kind of forgotten characters and heroes and things like that and kind of making them darker, edgier, grittier, a little bit more realistic. And that's what they wanted to do. And that's what made them think of, hey, we want Wesley Snipes. Like I said, the studio originally wanted LL Cool J uh, when it wasn't really going to be a kind of a campy film. They were actually considering Denzel Washington, which, again, is not necessarily a bad choice. Um, not that it's a good movie at all, but if you watch Book of Eli, I mean, the character that Denzel Washington plays there is a bit bladish in his mannerisms and things like that. I mean, I think he could have pulled it off. The guy's a phenomenal actor and he has done action. But the thing is, is that, you know, Norrington and Goyer, they wanted Wesley Snipes. And the reason was, this is who they based Blade on. Like I said, you know, when you see the movie and then if you go back and look at Blade's original appearances in the comics, they are nothing alike. And that's the thing is they they wanted to take the character of Blade pretty much almost in name only and I guess occupation, Vampire Hunter. And they wanted to spruce him, spruce him up and bring him kind of into the modern era. And, you know, the thing is, is the character that we see on the screen, the character of Blade we've seen on the screen is pretty much... Wesley Snipes. Yes, Wesley Snipes is playing him, but they base the character off of Wesley Snipes, off of his sort of look, his demeanor. I mean, Wesley Snipes actually had a lot of input into the character of Blade, which is why, I mean, I think, you know, he said in interviews that he he's very fond of the, these movie. Well, not all of them. I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute. He was fairly, you know, fond of these movies and fond of the character and had kind of said a few years back before Marvel decided to do a reboot or a reissue on, you know, Blade in, in on the big screen or on TV. He had said that, yeah, you know, I would be interested in, in revisiting this character because he, he really put a lot of himself into it. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason why Blade did so well, you know, in the movies. So like I said, both Goyer and Norrington decided that, look, we're going to make a very sort of gritty, realistic type film. And I think that really comes through when you watch it. I mean, from the locations that they use, the score, you know, the plot, everything, it does kind of have a gritty, grimy, very realistic 
feel to it. Granted, we're dealing with supernatural things such as vampires and Blade, you know, the character Blade himself was sort of updated to be this human vampire, you know, uh, hybrid, not like the comics at all. But I mean, I really feel that that realism really came through, which is why I think that that's another reason why people didn't realize that this is a comic book movie. You know, Blade is a hero. Blade's not wearing a cape. He's not wearing a mask. He doesn't have a catchphrase. He's, you know, not quippy and this and that. He's a hybrid vampire that is hunting down other vampires. And, you know, that's just what this movie's all about. And that's why it's amazing. And like I said, Wesley Snipes, I feel, is a really, really big part of that. I mean, he totally immerses himself in this role in this first movie and, you know, in the subsequent film, uh, you know, the sequel as well. The third film, completely, completely different, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So, like I said, you know, New Line Cinema pretty much greenlit uh, this project Blade. And like I said, originally they wanted LL Cool J. A couple other names, like I said, that were tossed around, of course, were Denzel Washington and Lawrence Fishburne as well. But, you know, like I said, they wanted Wesley Snipes. Goyer and Norrington wanted Wesley Snipes because to, to them, that was Blade. And like I said, he totally carries this movie. Um, but, you know, a lot of the supporting cast around him really do a great job as well. The main villain, of course, is Deacon Frost, who is in the comics now. Full disclosure, I really don't know a lot about comic book Blade. I do know when this movie came out or just before this movie came out, they kind of reintroduced him and reintroduced him as this human vampire hybrid like you see in the films. But it was a couple of one shots, a couple of appearances here and there, and then he was gone. Deacon Frost is a, a vampire that he does tangle with. But again, just like Blade in the movies, Deacon Frost in the movies is totally different than Deacon Frost in the comics. In the comics, Deacon Frost is a much older vampire. He's kind of like this very stoic vampire from what I've read. And here, Deacon Frost is a young vampire. He is actually not a pure-blood vampire. He is a vampire that was turned. You know, he was a human that was bitten. And he was played amazingly by Steven Dorf. And again, other names were tossed around on, you know, who should who should play um Deacon Frost. One of the big names actually was an unknown guy by the name of Jet Lee. Yeah, this was around the time when Jet Lee appeared in Lethal Weapon 4, and that's why, you know, he passed up doing playing Deacon Frost to star in Lethal Weapon 4. A couple of other names that were tossed around were Mark Wahlberg and Skeet Ulrich. And, and this is kind of the funny thing. So like I said, Stephen Dorff ended up playing Deacon Frost. Uh, and Skeet Ulrich was another actor that was kind of considered for the role. Here's the thing. Around this time in the 90s, you had your Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, of course, was a big, 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 big star. Skeet Ulrich, who looked a lot like Johnny Depp, was very often called the poor man's Johnny Depp. Well, Stephen Dorff kind of looks like Skeet Ulrich, so it's very fair to say that Stephen Dorff is the poor man Skeet Ulrich. And the thing is, he plays his character to perfection. Uh, you know, he's wisecracking. He talks a mile a minute. He's um, one minute uber violent. The next minute, just kind of like laugh out loud and saying he definitely hams it up, but he does it just right. He doesn't overdo it. He doesn't underdo it. He plays it perfectly. And it's a perfect foil for Blade because Blade, like I said, based off of Wesley Snipes, strong, silent type. Blade's not making a lot of quips in this film. He's not very, very touchy-feely. I mean, there's the scene where he comes back to his hideout 
uh, Deacon Frost and his crew of vampires pretty much just came in there. They kidnapped uh, Karen, who is a hematologist, I believe, who was helping Blade out. And they infected Whistler, knowing that Blade or Whistler himself, they would, you know, he would have to, he would have to die so he wouldn't turn into a vampire. And Blade does find Whistler there, played by Chris Christopherson, played expertly by Chris Christopherson. And it's almost as if Blade doesn't, you know, when, when you watch it, it's almost as if Blade doesn't care. I mean, you do see it later. I mean, you do see that the death of Whistler greatly affected him, but he's not going to cry about it. He's not going to, you know, hug it out or anything like that. He deals with it the way Blade would, which is sort of like his steely reserve and just, you know, I really wanted to kill Deacon Frost. Now I'm totally going to kill Deacon Frost. And like I mentioned, you know, Chris Christopherson plays Abraham Whistler, who is like Blade's mentor, his weapons expert, his Q, if you will. You know, he's the one that aids Blade in this in this hunt for, for vampires and trying to eradicate all the vampires because, as he tells Karen, the hematologist that Blade um, rescues from the hospital and brings her back and she helps him out, you know, she asks Whistler, you know, why do you do this? And he basically says that his wife and children were murdered by a vampire and he was forced to watch. And that's pretty much what set him down this path. And again, these three, you know, uh, Wesley Snipes and Stephen Dorff and um, Chris Christopherson. I mean, they do an amazing job with their characters. One of the other things that I really, really like about this film, you know, this is still this like 80s, 90s action type film everything in it uh, in terms of the action is very, very practical. Now, when we get to the more mystic things, you know, some of the magic and, and whatnot, we do go to CGI. And I will be honest, you know, doing a rewatch of this, I think that's the one thing that just doesn't hold up anymore is this was the very, very early days of CGI being incorporated into films. And this film had a $45 million budget, which for at the time was, you know, that was pretty significant. Uh, yeah, you know, these, um, these, these, these computer effects just did not hold up well. Even I, I mean, I remember even watching it, you know, some of it even back then did kind of look a little cheesy, but when I first watched it, you know, the, the effects actually weren't that bad. But definitely on a rewatch, I mean, they they really don't hold up. But a lot of the other things, like the fight scenes and everything, totally, totally practical. No real wire work, no other CGI. It's Wesley Snipes and a bunch of stuntmen just kicking some ass, and it's really, really good. So like I said, this film was made for $45 million, and it went on to gross over $130 million worldwide. It was considered a success. You know, sequels were greenlit. And I really feel that because of this, you know, which came out in 98, we got Brian Singer's X-Men in 2000, and we got Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies in 2002. I think movie studios really felt like, hey, comic books are back. We can really do them. If we do them smart, we can really we can really do something here. And I really think that after the success of the X-Men franchise and the Spider-Man franchise, this is what kind of gave Marvel the green light to say, I think we could do this MCU, we, we could really, really do this again if we do it really, really smart. And I think it's really all thanks to Blade. So like I said, some interesting things about this movie is, is yeah, you know, they do do CGI in it. And sort of the big showdown at the end is, you know, Steven Dorff is trying to basically find a way to uh, get rid of Blade and almost kind of 
incorporate his powers, you know, because that's the thing is Blade has all the strengths, but none of the weaknesses of a vampire. I mean, he's called the Daywalker because, you know, he can walk around during the day. Vampires cannot do that. And that's what Stephen Dorff is trying to do. He, you know, kind of finds this vampire Bible. He translates it. He hears about the blood god Lamagra. He performs the ceremony. And the thing is, is if you watch the film, you realize it kind of supercharges him and he and Blade get into this big fight at the end. Originally, what they wanted to do was to actually have him. And the thing, this is the thing that's pretty interesting is, is right before the whole ceremony is done and he knows that Blade is on the way, you know, like I said, he kidnapped Karen, uh, who was helping him out. And he's kind of laying it out for her, like what this whole process is all about. He does say that when La Magra comes, you know, it's going to be like a storm. It's going to be like like a tornado of just, you know, blood and energy and anything caught in its path is going to be turned. And that's what the, you know, the writer, director, the producers, that's what they originally wanted to do. And, you know, you can go online, you can go to YouTube and you could look for, you know, Blade outtakes or Blade deleted scenes. And they actually did do that. They actually made a blood tornado, basically, that Stephen Dorff transformed into that Blade has to kind of deal with. I mean, he can't really start cutting at it with his sword. He's got to try to figure out a way to deal with it. And as this Lamagra, this blood tornado, Stephen Dorff is attacking him. And every once in a while, this blood tornado would kind of open up. And, you know, in the middle of it would be Stephen Dorff kind of taunting him. And it didn't test very well because, the you know, just with the the computer graphics, they just couldn't do it the way they wanted. So they totally scrapped it and they filmed a, a different sequence, which was the big battle between Wesley Snipes and Stephen Dorff. And here's the thing. Wesley Snipes, you know, he's practiced martial arts. He's clearly a very athletic guy. I mean, like I said, when you see him doing these fight scenes, he's doing an amazing job. If you watch this final battle between him and Steven Dorff, Steven Dorff is an actor. He is not an action star at all. You realize that basically what they're doing is slapping their swords together. It's just slap, 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 spark, 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 spark. Maybe somebody jumps back, this and that, and it's back to slap, 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 slap of swords. Um, I mean, it was the best that they could do. And, you know, actually with the way they frame it and, and doing a few other things in it, it does come off pretty good as well. But, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting that that wasn't the direction that they were going to go in. Stephen Dorff was actually going to turn into a, a legitimate blood god, if you will. One of the other things I think is really, really interesting is is towards the end of the movie, they originally wanted to set up, you know, Blade 2 and have another Marvel character appear, you know, at the end to kind of like as a teaser is like, oh, this is going to be the big bad in the next one. And that character would have been Morbius, the living vampire. The thing is, though, is I don't think that New Line owned the rights. I think Marvel might or maybe. Oh, no, no, no. Sony uh, owned the the sort of Spider-Man franchise. Marvel had sold them like the X-Men and Spider-Man and Morbius was considered part of that. I mean, we know now that one of these days a Morbius movie will be coming out in the Sony Spider-Verse. So that's the thing is New Line Cinemas could not get their hands on Morbius. But the thing is, again, a scene was filmed towards the end and, you know, you, you could look at alternate i think it's like blade alternate ending you know you could actually see that scene and basically you know it, it starts the way you know the movie ends with blade and karen climbing out of the temple of darkness and one thing i thought was pretty interesting is is when you watch the movie they, they climb out and karen is kind of telling him that you know she's going to find a cure for him 
And, you know, Blade is sort of like, you know, keep your cure. There's there's a war going on out there. And, and you know, I got to be at my best, you know, kind of, again, like this, like steely determination, like this very, very stoic guy. So in this alternate ending that they wanted to do, they climb out. Kara's like, hey, I got to make this cure for you. And, and you know, Blade is sort of like supercharged. And he's like, ha, keep your cure. I don't need it. Never felt better. Besides, there's a war going on. We see Karen kind of look over and she goes, oh, yeah, well, you're back on the clock. And we see, you know, because they're kind of like in this industrial area, like an abandoned warehouse area. We see a figure standing on the roof. They kind of they don't zoom right in. They almost kind of do, I guess, like a medium zoom. I don't know. I'm not a cinematographer. And you could see like a guy with a trench coat with like something covering like the lower part of his face. And they don't say it. He doesn't say it. But, you know, the writer said, yeah, that was going to be Morbius. And, you know, you kind of see Blade almost kind of leaping into action like, you know, like he would have leapt towards Morbius and then, you know, cue the credits. I think that would have been really, really cool. But I get it. They actually didn't have the rights to Morbius. But I do love the way this movie does end, though, with like, you know, him telling Karen that there is a war going on there. And she's like, you know, they're sort of like they part their ways. He's like, you know. Don't make me a cure, but maybe make me a better serum to help fight the hunger that I have. And they part the ways. We cut to Moscow, and we see that, yeah, Blade is in Moscow hunting Russian vampires. And I just think that was an awesome way to end it. Because Blade 2 does pick up with him in Europe, and it just goes from there. And I think the thing is, is originally I was going to talk about all three films, but I only really watched, did a rewatch of the first one. I'm going to go back. I'm going to rewatch Blade 2. And I am going to force myself to rewatch Blade Trinity. And I'll definitely come back and report about them and let you guys know what I think. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys later. Yeah.